Experience God's love and God's peace with us. See what God is doing for your neighbors at Crosspoint. Be blessed with today's broadcast. Apart for a purpose. Now, whether you answer that call, that's between you and the Lord, whether you de- uh, decide to operate in your divine purpose. But when Jesus walked this earth, he made it very clear what his purpose was. He said in Luke 19 and 10, he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, they were expecting a Messiah with authority, which he had. But they were expecting a Messiah with power, which he had. But they were expecting a Messiah to overthrow Rome and lead them back into a nation that they once were. And so this was a little different. So he was, he was talking in a way they believed at this point in, in Luke 19, yes, you're the son of man, but, but when are you going to take up a sword? Because we're ready. We're ready to fight. We've been waiting for this. And Jesus like, well, hold on. I, I came to seek and save the lost. Well, what about these perpetrators in our land? This is our land. But I seek, I came to seek and save the lost. And then he goes on and he shocks his disciples. And he's still shocking us today because he defined how he would seek and save the lost. In Mark 10 James and John, most of us should know this story, said to Jesus, Grant us to sit one on your right hand and one on your left in glory. And Jesus said, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And your translation may say servant there. This one says slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And this was completely different than what they had anticipated the Messiah would be and would say. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This word slave here or servant, if it's in your translation and you're used to hearing this, is doula. Most of us know that name. It's like a midwife. This is a servant. This is someone who gives their life in serving other people and helping other people. He told us and he told the disciples that he came to save the lost, but it it would not come from this place of force. It would come from a place of humility. And that's not what they were used to. Greatness was defined as the one who had the bigger sword, as the one who could overpower you. That was greatness. That was what they were expecting. It's what they were used to. It's how they had been beat down for centuries through that definition of greatness. But Jesus redefined greatness. He said, greatness isn't someone who's got a lot of money. The kingdom of God does not, does not uh, define greatness as the size of your bank account. It's not, it's not defined by if you've got a big company or not. You've got a lot of people working on, under you. It's not defined if you've got the biggest house on the block. That's not how Jesus defines greatness. That's how your coworker defines greatness. That's how your next door neighbor defines greatness. But Jesus said, I don't define it that way. The one who would be greatest should be the most servant of all. Greatness is climbing 
out of your failure and reaching back to help others out of the pit that once held you captive, that's greatness. You want to witness greatness? Show up on Monday night and you'll see a man of God stand up here who lived in the pit of hell and God brought him out. And now he spends his life sowing it into others and watching them be set free. That's how we define greatness. I want to ask you this morning, we're living in a time of a global shaking. Most of us believe, if, if you're a born-again believer, and even if you're not, most of us believe that we are living in some semblance of end time. And I want to ask you, are you willing to be lowest of all to be the greatest in the eyes of Jesus? First Thessalonians 4.17, we talked about this last week when we talked about the rapture. He says, then we who are alive, who are left, We'll be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. If you've been in church any, any amount of time at all, you know this is where we get uh, the, the uh, uh, rapture term, this harpazo when it's in the Greek, when he says called up. It's, it, this is, people say, well, rapture's not in the Bible, but it is. It's just in a little different language. And, and we know that when Jesus returns, the Bible says that we will be caught up with him, we'll be caught right before we're caught up with him. You and I will be caught doing something. What will you be caught doing? Awful quietness, Baptist Church. You start talking about getting caught. Wait a minute, you know what I did? You know what I'm up to? I don't. The Spirit of God knows what you're up to, and you will be caught. Now, I don't think that you have to worry if you got to hurry up and do your laundry real quick because you don't want to be caught known as the one who was, you know, doing laundry or, you know, shoving all those dishes in the dishwasher and you know you put too many in there. You don't want to be that one. I don't think we're talking about that. I think we're talking about the one who was caught not doing what God told him to do. Get it behind. The one who was caught coming into church five minutes late. <laughs> I fuss, I fuss at my daughter this morning. I went to pick her up. I said, how can you get to school every day? You guys leave the house around 7 a.m., but you struggle to be ready by 9 a.m. for a, a choir rehearsal. Now, I threw it all on my daughter because every one of you women in here, mostly women, some of you men, I wasn't going to get that bad on you, but you know what I'm talking about. I grew up spending half my time in the driveway in the car with my dad laying on the horn. I wish she'd come on. Just fussing and fussing. And then she gets in the car. You ready? You know, because we're, we're brave on that horn, but we ain't brave when they sit down, right? That's why me and my wife, we love each other. We ride separately most places we go. Our relationship's better now than it's ever been. Yeah. You got to have a different vehicle. But if the rapture happened today, what would you be caught doing? What do you think about that? There's some nonsense you're up to nobody knows about. We need to look at your internet history. Would you be caught? How, how long has it been since you know the voice of the Lord told you that he wanted you to do something and you're still not doing it? Would you be caught watching another series on Netflix rather than being in the Bible? 
When you hear that great trumpet sound and they're fixing to call you up, would you say, hold on just a minute, i got to finish this cat video. One more. That's funny, but we spend more time watching 10-second reels than we do in the Word of God. What are you going to be caught doing? I don't know about you, but I want to be caught serving. Whether it's preaching this gospel or sweeping these floors, makes no difference to Jesus. Makes no difference. What are you called to do? It makes no difference as long as you're doing what you were called to do and you know in your heart what you were called to do. Were you called to help Melissa and Children's Church? Well, I'm thinking, no, you, no don't think. He told you 18 months ago and you're still thinking. Think time's over. Get busy. Well, I'm waiting for a sign. The sign is get up, work, volunteer, help. That's the sign. I mean, nobody, there was no cloud of glory that come down and angel says, oh, Mike, we want you to preach. No. It was, it was me going to my pastor going, hey, I think God's called me to preach. And, and in my mind, I thought two years down the road, once I'd been through all this schooling and training and all this, then maybe I would start. And he was like, great. And he immediately referred me to somebody who's over the prison ministries and over the homeless shelters. He said, the next time I see you, I want to hear about your preaching. I preached within 10 days of me telling him. I never told him anything like that ever again. But I was so scared. But I honored him and I respected him and I knew if he had told me, you need to do it now, don't wait, go right now. I didn't want him to ask me and me go, well, I, you know, I hadn't yet, but I, you know, I'm believing God. <laughs> when he'll direct my path. God's directed your path. You want direction for your path? Hold on here just a second. I would jump down there, but y'all have to pick me back up. This is your direction. Waiting on the Lord, he already spoke. Now, you might, you might ask him, Lord, I love reading your scriptures. Show me in here where I need to go. He'll direct your path. He will. I can tell you because he did, he did mine. He directed my path. I've said more than one time, and, and when the first time that I was reading Joshua chapter 1 and the transition of Joshua from Moses and, and the Lord. I knew the Lord was speaking to me, and I just, I just felt the overwhelming presence of the Lord. And I knew the Lord was speaking to me, and I knew if I truly want to get in the presence of God, don't, how many times have I heard saints of God say, oh, I just want to feel that presence I felt one time. No, get in the Word of God. This is Jesus. We all remember in Luke chapter 7, doesn't say Mary, but most believe Mary washed Jesus' feet with her tears. Remember, washed his feet, dried it with her hair. And then in, in many of the translations, it, it tells of she took the alabaster box and 
broke the alabaster box and anointed him with it. And this is just days before, his, hours before his crucifixion. And there's a lot of symbolism there we won't get into. But this was a very important moment in his life. But her life, when she, when she washed his feet, this, this woman is believed to be the prostitute that Jesus delivered. There's some, some scholars that even believe that this is the woman. Remember when they were about to stone the woman and said, Okay, Rabbi, we've caught this woman in the act. Funny the man wasn't brought up there. But they were, they were all getting ready to stone this woman to death. And what does it say? Jesus stoops down. He's drawn in the sand. Nobody knows what he's drawn. A lot of speculation. But he says, He who, who uh, uh, without sin cast the first stone. Remember? And they all dropped their stones and walked away. Now, he didn't tell her, okay, you're good. You can go back to what you're doing. He said, go and sin no more. I don't, I don't, I'm not judging you either. I'm not throwing you under the bus. I'm not crucifying you. Here's what I'm telling you. You're forgiven. Go and sin no more. This woman is the one whose tears are bathing the feet of the master. This is the woman who is, who is breaking a year's worth of, of perfume. That could have been sold to feed the poor, we know, but yet she poured it out upon him to anoint him. And this motion, she didn't know, but something had to tell her, this is the moment, this has to be done right now. While they all looked, and they all stared, and they all rebuked, nobody else was washing her feet, but she washed his feet. Here's the creator of the universe having his feet washed, being anointed by a prostitute, by a woman who's had demons cast out of her, by a woman of the city, as, as uh, history, Jewish history tells us, that's what they would call a woman of the city. We don't talk a lot about when Jesus himself poured out the basin and filled it with water. And pulled out the towel. The Savior of humanity. Performing one of the lowest duties in that day. In John 13. It says, now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper... Listen, this is important because you'll miss this because you ever thought that not only did he wash the disciples' feet, but he washed Judas' feet? During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment. And taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and then he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus said, what I'm doing now you do not understand, but afterwards you will understand. Well, this is one of the lowest functions of serving, and yet here's Jesus Washing their feet. And it says he laid aside his outer garment. Now, this outer garment 
represents his royalty, represents his majesty, his divinity. And, and he didn't leave from that, and I don't want you to mistake what I'm about to say, but he laid it aside because he wanted to show his humility. He wanted to show that being a true servant of the Most High God is being humble first, and he lays aside his garment. He willingly puts it aside to wash their feet. What are you willing to put aside? Are you willing to put down your reputation? Are you willing to lay down your pride? Some of your arrogance? I'm not arrogant. Okay. That's not what everybody else says, but most arrogant people would never say they're arrogant, I guess. Are you willing to lay aside your anger? I mean, let's face it. Everybody is always wrong but me. Or are you willing to lay that aside? Because most of us men, we've dealt with that since we were old enough to watch our dad or, or watch somebody in our, in our home get angry. Most of us deal with anger on some level, and most of it we truly believe is warranted. How dare you? That's what we believe. And Jesus taught, lay it aside. What about the spirit of offense? You know, there are some people that, for whatever reason, maybe it's because of their past, maybe it's because of their home and their parents. I don't know what it is, but there's just some people, no matter what you say to them, they're offended. Hey, good morning. So good to see you today. Huh, I guess you heard about me, and that's why you're acting like that. No, I was just being pleasant. Yeah, sure you are. It's a spirit of offense. It's when you are, are, are just cocked and loaded, ready to be offended, no matter what anybody says. And, and here's the thing. Are you willing to lay it aside, even when what you're hearing truly sounds offensive? Are you willing to lay it down? I said before that, I mean, years and years ago, before Milan was born, that I went through that season where it just seemed like no matter what she said, I just took it the wrong way and I would be angry. How dare she? And I'll never forget, we was in a disagreement and, and the Lord spoke to me. I was fuming, I was mad because once again, she had just been as hateful as she could be to me. And I remember storming through the house thinking, boy, I'll let her have it. And the Lord's saying, it, it wasn't nothing like, oh, blessed my, uh -uh. it was like, hey, dummy, what are you doing? That's what I heard, not the dummy part, but I heard, what are you doing? Well, Lord, I just, I can't take this. I mean, you hear how she talks to me. She didn't say anything to you. She's just having a conversation. But she's being hateful to me. No, she ain't. You're taking everything wrong. You're living in a view of offense, in a worldview. You're living in a state of offense. No matter what anybody says to you, you're going to be offended. A lot of people live like that. It's a miserable way to live. And I learned to lay it down. Now, she's still hateful to me, but I just try to be nice. I'm just kidding. No, I, I, I learned that. She's kind of a black cup of coffee. She just says whatever's on her mind, and you can be offended by it, or you can just say, oh, okay, yeah, me too, or whatever. 
Sometimes people are just blunt, not to be hateful or to be abusive, but just it's just their nature. And we've got to decide, is somebody truly being hateful or is it their nature? Because if you live in a state of offense, you will never find peace because everybody's going to offend you. You've got to get to a point in your life where you just trust in the Lord and quit trusting that everybody's out to get you. Nobody's out to get you. I love you, but you're not that important. Can you lay it down? Not every confrontation is a fight to the death. Not every time you have a disagreement is an opportunity for you to just battle until somebody finally just so fatigued they just can't take any more. They pack a bag. Are you willing to lay that down? Remember what David said when he was fighting Goliath? Goliath was calling him names, cursing him. And David said, oh, no, you, you've misunderstood. The battle's not mine. The battle belongs to the Lord. And he defeated Goliath because he knew, this is not my battle. How many times has something happened in your life when really, if you look back, you could have said, the battle's not mine, the battle's the Lord. And the next day, you might have realized, it really wasn't a battle. How many times? Can you lay it down? Because Jesus laid all that down as a demonstration to us to walk in humility because he's trying to bring out great servants of the Most High God in these shaking end times. But we have got to swallow our pride and lay down the things that torment us. But on the flip side, are you willing to fight? Because some of you, need to quit being so passive and fight for what you know is right. Fight for what is important. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your church. Fight for your job. Fight for what is right. I remember it, when I ran cross country, and, and, and it's on my mind because we just went through cross country season at the school, but I remember when I was running cross country, I really hated losing, and I was doing a whole lot of that. And rather than getting mad and frustrating and quitting, I decided to add some things to my workout. What I wanted was the win to get easier. So I made the training more painful. You understand what I'm saying? Instead of just running the normal workout that the coach would have us do, when it was over, I would add more to my workout. And it hurt sometimes to the point that I would have to crawl back to the gym. But I noticed something on race day. I was getting closer and closer to the front until finally I was winning the races. I'd like to say I was winning all of them, and some of you might know me from those days, so I won't go that far. You know, as we get older, we won more. We were faster. We were bigger and stronger. But I was. But it was, it was a level of commitment I was willing to endure to get what I wanted. I wanted the win, and I'm asking you today, if you truly want what God has called you to do, what level of commitment, what level of endurance, what level of suffering are you willing to go through to truly be who God's called you to be? To be great in God's kingdom, you have to put on the attitude 
of the server's towel. You know, the waiter, waitress, you know, in the nicer places they have the towel. That's how we should be living our life. When we come to church and we get up and we say, Honey, I'm coming to church 20 minutes early. Well, there's no way I can get that. Then we'll have to ride separately. I don't mean to offend you at all, but I'm going to serve. I remember when I made that switch in my mind and in my spirit. I remember it. been years and years ago when I finally decided I am not going to church to be served, but to serve. And it changed my life. It's a commitment. It's it's a passion. It's a desire to be great in God's kingdom. Not in man's eyes, in God's kingdom. If that means putting on a wash towel, let me put on a wash towel. In the mid-1700s, John Newton was a very successful captain of, eventually, of several ships. He was a captain of English slave ships. He was also a very wealthy investor in the slave trade. And something happened to John Newton. He had a shipwreck one day, and he almost died. And he cried out to God for God to save him, and he did. And while he was on another ship on the way back to England, he gave his life to the Lord. He was reading scriptures. He was praying. By the time he got back, his whole life began changing. But he tells in his story that it was years later before he truly committed or, or, or would acknowledge that he was truly a Christian because he remained in the slave trade. And when the Lord convicted him about that, he retired, and then he became an abolitionist. It was a shipwreck that woke him up. It was a shipwreck that, that Jesus spiritually wrecked him, and he changed his life. He had these gifts inside of him. He knew how to make money. He knew how to lead, but he was misdirected. He was using them for the wrong things, and he finally became this spokesperson. And for the rest of his life, he served to end slavery in England. And most of us know he became a singer, and he wrote Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We just thought it, it was some poetic something, but, but he was talking about himself. This is his life story. And he wrote this Christian anthem that has led millions to the Lord over the last couple centuries because he was wrecked. He was beat up, and the Lord saved him. And I wonder... If we're blaming God for a wreck that was intentional. Is there a wreck in your life that God is trying to save you from? To wake you up? Because the gifts and the calling that is within you are for a different person. It is a, pur a purpose. It is for the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul was just like John Newton. And we read the scriptures where the Apostle is highly intelligent a, a great leader. He was a strong man for the religious elite, killing Christians, attacking Christians, putting them in prison. And God shook him one day and woke him up. 
And he realized he was a, a great leader and he was very intelligent, but it was misdirected and being used for the wrong thing. And he spent the rest of his life serving the kingdom of God, planting churches and writing New Testament scriptures. 2 Corinthians 3.18 It says, We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, John Newton's dad was in the ship business. Very wealthy, very successful. And they expected him to be in the ship business. What was expected of you? Because the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians that we are called to look upon the face of Jesus. That's the reflection of our purpose, not what somebody else said you should be. Not saying that the job you've got is the wrong job, but it's saying that the gifts and the skills that, that you use to do what you do, aren't they also to be used in the kingdom of God? Today, we're ordaining a man of God into the ministry who I believe exemplifies servant leadership that Jesus teaches us in these scriptures. Thanks for watching today's broadcast. If you were encouraged today or made a decision for Christ, let us know by visiting our website, 